I'm absolutely convinced that all men, including you and I, have hidden potential that's not been tapped into. The team and I have designed a quiz for you to work out what that could be, and there's a link to it in the show notes. I'll tell you more at the end, but for now, enjoy the episode. People who have lost their jobs, people who have lost their families, people who have lost their lives by being their true authentic selves, those are the people I consider to be brave, those are the people whose shoulders I stand on. The people who went to riot, the people who went to make law changes, the people who went, I'm gay, who were banned off television, who weren't given opportunities on television, who were ostracized from their workplace. Those are the brave people. Welcome to Stories of Men Beneath the Surface. I'm Alex Melia. Join me as we discover what it means to be a man in the modern era. Today's story is about finding our tribe and knowing when to trust our own instincts, not what other people might think of us. Stephen grew up in a time when the AIDS epidemic had ravaged the UK, a time when it was illegal to discuss same-sex relationships in schools. Stephen was left struggling with his identity, figuring out his own sexuality. By the time he was in his early 20s, in the 90s, he knew that he needed to connect with people who looked like him and shared his experience. For me, the decision I made was to venture into central London and go to my first ever gay bar. I did find out that there was a pub by Trafalgar Square called The Brief Encounter. Sounds like the movie, Brief Encounter. You know, quite sexy, quite, quite exciting. So I plucked up the courage. I felt like a spy. I felt like I was going to get into this place and then suddenly a whole new world will open up for me and embrace me. But I was still paralyzed with fear. I thought, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to do this for myself. I dressed up. I was very tall and a gangly young man. And I had a smart jacket. I had jeans and they, they were turned up at the bottom and I had a tight black t-shirt and I had these hooped earrings. My wrist was full of weird, wonderful bangles of all sorts. I thought I looked amazing. So I got on the tube looking quite fly and it was the longest journey of my life. I could feel the beads of sweat coming down my forehead thinking, what am I gonna find when I get there? I eventually found St. Martin's Lane and I was on the opposite side of the road from where I could see the sign in neon, the brief encounter. I didn't even focus on the people going in. What I was focusing on was whether there was anybody on the street who recognized me. That would mean I could not go in. The thought of looking over my shoulder and being spotted and being outed as it were, paralyzed me with fear. I walked around the building about six, eight, ten times just to make sure I wasn't being followed. And then the final time I walked around the building, I looked at the door and I just made a bolt for it. I just went bang. I was like Usain Bolt on steroids. I went straight for the door and I opened it. There was a plume of smoke that hit me like, like the matrix as I opened the door, bang. And then I stood in the doorway as the door closed 
firmly shut behind me. And I just saw people, men, standing around this bar. And it was quite dark and dingy, a few steps to go down. The music was loud in there, it was pumping, and I just didn't know what to do. And I was just stood there looking around. And as the mist of smoke cleared, eyes were on me. <laughs> Suddenly, I was this new kid on the block. I must have stood there, it felt like another 25 minutes. And the stress was still up to 100, heightened. And then I found myself gliding towards the bar because I don't know how I walked, because my legs were paralyzed. I remember asking for a pint of something or other, but then looking around the room, I didn't see many people of color. A gentleman who was probably about 60, 65, walked up to me, smiled, and I thought, wow, my first conversation with a gay person. And then out of his mouth came the immortal words, and he was a white chap, by the way. He said this, I really fancy black guys. And that just kind of hit me. I thought, is this, is this meant to be a compliment? Is this meant to be a, a chat up line? And I must have known I was quite funny back then because my immediate response was, so do I, which didn't really go down that very well. And then I found myself talking to a group of younger people. And then I thought, wow, I found kindred spirits. They were very encouraging to me. And now I had my second dilemma, how to now leave that building without being seen. Suddenly I felt trapped. Eventually, I plucked up the courage and I left the brief encounter. I bolted down the road and I disappeared into the crowds of Trafalgar Square. The journey home was a mixture of triumph and relief because I'd done it, giggling to myself on the tube going, oh my God, I did that. But the other side was like, what have I actually accomplished? I, I've met these people, no way to contact them. I didn't see people who looked like me. A little bit of triumph, a little bit of relief, and a little bit of disappointment all rolled into one. After you've had this triumphant and relief-filled night out, where did you go after that in terms of, did you go to more pubs, more, more nightclubs? Did you embrace your sexuality more so? What that did give me was the impetus to go and find uh, other like-minded people. It was a challenge myself because I just knew that I could not pretend and present as someone I wasn't. I mean, it was very easy um, to avoid and dodge questions. It was very easy to just allow people to make their own assumptions. And that's what people do and have done with me my entire life and career. They see you, they make an assumption about who you are. Um, even in comedy, I'm a six foot two black man, quite a big guy, and I wear what is traditionally known as a wedding ring. People make assumptions all the time without me having to divulge anything. And I've never felt myself that I'm in the closet, but for many years, I would never correct people because it was easier not to have that conversation. So I found myself throwing myself headfirst uh, into club land. And that's when I started to know about, you know, the different fractions within the gay community, you know, the bears, the, the twinks, the, the, the all sorts of different people. It was quite exciting because you felt like you were on the edges of the mainstream. 
you felt like you were part of a of a subculture of clubbing and nightlife that other people were not privy to. But the downside of that is that I didn't have anyone in my personal life, my circle of real friends that I could share that experience with. So I was kind of, for all intents and purposes, leading a double life. Those kind of feelings do lead to self-loathing and and questioning about who you are and honesty and integrity. One of the most interesting things was bumping into people that I knew. And then how we bonded over that. We were friends, like a couple of people from school, a cousin I bumped into, and it was like, we never knew. But then because of that social element, we became really close because we had a secret. Mm-hmm. In the self-help books, they talk about you are the average of the five people you spend the most amount of time with. And it sounded like when you were trying to forge this identity, you didn't have those people. But when you started to see people that you knew, like your cousin on nights out, you started to build your your people, your your network, your community. That's why it's really important to find your tribe. When I first started doing comedy, I was just doing all sorts of stuff. And people used to say to me, you know, experienced comics, it will just take time to find your voice. And that's exactly the same thing in this journey. It seems to me that you've had to overcome a lot of fear as well along the journey to be who you are, who who you wanted to be. Because if you hadn't gone to a brief encounter in all these clubs and met all the people you knew and also knew people as well, you could have ended up going down a, a double life and, and not being the authentic Stephen that you wanted to be. That's a really good point. And I thank you for making that. I don't know how people, heterosexual, um, um, bisexual, uh, LGBTQ+, how you find yourself, because that's a journey that you can only do yourself. I don't even know if I'd be here, to be honest, because the stress and expectations of society were far too great. Watching TV at home, for example, or with my friends, and we'd see a, a program with a very camp character, how the hilarity in the room would ensue and how I would not be able to say anything. And and even though that character was not anything like me, but that was what was re- represented, they are laughing at me and they're, they're taking the piss and they're saying things. And I, I couldn't say anything. We all want to be part of something and to feel ostracized and to feel like you don't belong, especially when you're a young person, that's devastating. Mm. I've got gay friends who have always lived an authentic life and always been true to who they are. I think because of people like yourself who, you know, two, three decades before overcame fears, it must be a lot easier now for those people as opposed to like people like yourself in the early 90s and obviously 80s and 70s and so on who did it before. Well, I I would say that uh, fear did play an amazing uh, role, but not not in a good way, because we talk about mental health now like it's a common thing, but back then we didn't define it as, you know, mental health situations or or whatever, but people struggled, particularly when I grew up in an era where, yes, there were people fighting for for rights, There 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 were activists, but I didn't particularly see them. You know, there, there was, you know, the, the Pride March, which I never went on, the fear, out of fear, not because I wanted, didn't want to be in solidarity with these people, but I was scared. I thankfully stand on the shoulders of people who've gone before me who have paved the way, 
But I, I will not ever accept that it's easy now because there are still people, particularly young people, who, who are suffering and who will self-harm and who have unfortunately committed suicide because they feel trapped, they feel alone. And I, I know two cases personally where that's happened and it's it's devastating. And, you know, you you try and, and kind of give people your own experience and show your lived experience. But sometimes when they go to their real world, that's not enough. Did you feel like the fear was bigger for you than a gay guy who's who's white for example because of the because of the times uh was it early 90s we'll get back to the episode in a second before that i just want to say if you think this episode would be useful to a friend send it along you never know it might just be the exact thing they're looking for today and now back to the show i would absolutely say so because i would say for the, the first uh, the first maybe three or four years of me actually getting immersed into the the scene, as it were, I, I could count the number of black people I saw on, you know, two hands on a regular basis. When you feel that there's nobody like you, that's another layer. And also because in terms of what a black man, particularly in London, is seen as, you know, strong, uh, fit, um, macho, masculinity you know was i was i wasn't that and who am i disappointing by not being that but it's easy to pretend to be that just for a simple life but then as you get older you, you start thinking to yourself do you know what what is the meaning of life you've only got one chance at it so why not live your best life yeah i've had experiences in my life where i've tried to be something I'm not. And it's very, it's very tiring, you know, to, to have to do that. And it does take it out of you and you feel this incongruence inside your body. And then when you, it's almost, it's a case of surrendering, I suppose, and being vulnerable because I, for a lot of years, I've had mental health issues myself and pretending that everything's okay and pretending to be this masculine man just caused me a lot of upset. And the more I surrendered and the more I leaned into the traditional forms of femininity, the more of a man I became. Don't know, have you have you had the similar experience to that? When you're beaten down so much, I think that's the key. When you're beaten down, when you're having to to pretend and 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 present as this, and then you've got to make those people happy. Not, not none of this is for yourself. You think it's for yourself, but you're making other people happy. You don't want to upset the status quo. When your parents say, "Oh, when are you going to get married? You've got to oh, oh, when are you going to have kids? Oh, all that stuff," and then you're just acting and acting, and then. It, that is exhausting. And for you to finally acknowledge who you are, that means you've got to trust that you'll be able to deal with whatever's coming. Because it's one thing having to bat things away and be on, on, on guard all the time. Once you put those bats down, you're going to be vulnerable. So you've got to be ready at that stage. For me, for example, I thought I was ready. I got to a stage where you know, I didn't pretend to my friends or family. Uh, I didn't say anything publicly because it's nobody else's business, but I didn't hide. And then something really major happened, but that gave me the impetus to write a show about somebody I knew who was killed in a homophobic attack. And at that point in that show, I said, and by the way, I'm attracted to men. And this is, I've been going for maybe 10, 15 years at this point. But unbeknownst to me, I didn't even think about it. 
it became a story of me coming out. The way that progressed was that from being described earlier as black comic, da da da, I now had the moniker of gay black comic. Do you know what I mean? It was like, wow, white heterosexual comedians in, in the UK. I don't think any of them have been described as white heterosexual comedian. So, do you know what I mean? So it's like, you're still trying to put me in some sort of box. If you add those adjectives to wh who I am, you're, you're just defining my comedy by that, where if anyone has seen my stuff, it's a lot more than that. The problem you've got as well nowadays, you know, if your show is an hour, an hour and a half, but someone takes a 10 to 15 second snippet, puts it on Instagram, TikTok and things like that. And there's no context there. There's no there's no real depth to what's, you know, the whole joke is not there. But someone will take that and say, oh, Stephen said this or Stephen believes that. And people can really go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, and I think perhaps uh, uh, one of the contributing factors to that is that we live in a world where it's about immediacy and that gratification you can get. When you see something on TV, oh, no, get onto Twitter. It's immediate. Taking stock, having a moment to think. I'm pretty confident that if you anyone was to trawl through my timeline of, of any of my socials, I've never slagged anybody off. I, it's just not in my nature. And I'm also one of these people, I'm so anal. I have got emails and text messages from 15, 20 years ago on my phone. It's just a habit. And I think now I'm keeping that because I've, I need to have a defense just in case bullshit happens. Do you know what I mean? And that's just habit. Like, I've seen stories about people, either someone being ill or da-da-da-da. Before I put anything online, like, oh, I'm very sober, I would check first. It doesn't cost anything. It, doesn't, it takes a little bit of time, maybe, but fine. I'd rather do that than to be spectacularly wrong. And then we now have this thing where, oh, people are allowed, allowed to make mistakes. Are you really? Yeah, at your age? You can't do, as you say, due diligence before you pile in and you start saying shit. You know, maybe I just would like people, maybe I'm, I'm being too harsh in terms of judging people by my own standards. Or maybe it's because a lot of people haven't suffered in the way that I struggled before they found who they were, you know, in this world that has, you know, let's be honest, it has been geared in the main to straight white men. But for someone like me, who literally for the first 18 years, 20 years of my life was hiding who I was. And what we now comfortably identify as mental health issues, God, who knows what I was struggling with and who knows what that does to one's young forming brain. But what I did know is that I'm going to use whatever voice I have to be open, to be proud, to say what I want and to assist people if I can in some way. What I won't do is engage in, in ridiculous, nonsensical arguments. I will not throw myself into debate where I'm not required or asked about. I know what it's like to have struggled, not just uh, as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, but also as a black man growing up in this country. I know what my, story, I know what my parents' struggles have been. So I, I don't have the energy to be fighting people for what I consider to be, really? 
If you were to speak to the 21 or 22-year-old Stephen no. in, in 2022, who's confused, doesn't know what, what his identity is, doesn't know what, which path to go down in life, what would you say to him? Wow. I would say, oh, I, w- I would say keep asking questions, keep true to your authentic self, and one day it'll be all right. Well said. I think I think the authenticity thing is 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 massive, isn't it? Because people are living lives of inauthenticity. Gay men who get married and but they they know they're living a lie. I thought of someone like Michael Barrymore to have to live like that for so many years. Yeah, when really deep down you know that you're living the wrong life. It's quite interesting you mentioned Michael Barrymore because uh, you know. Uh, Unfortunately for him, he ha- then had a situation where some awful events happened at his house, uh, the swimming pool, and that tarnished everything. And people don't know the real story. Fast forward a number of years, Philip Schofield, you know, is another example. But the difference is, hailed as a hero for, uh, and brave. And I was like, what? Not that I'm bag- bagging anybody else, but my, my definition of brave in terms of the LGBTQ plus community is someone who does put themselves on the line, put your neck above the parapet and never have to look over your shoulder. However, if you work in an industry like entertainment industry where you, you're kind of embraced anyway, if you're a member of the LGBTQ community, and you are presenting someone you are not, earning all this money, interviewing people who have the same situation as you, and you're still scared to come out? That says a lot about you, I think. You know, people can come out whenever they want. Absolutely. I'm not saying that at all. But in terms of the message you're sending out in your position, I, I know I'm not saying people should be role models, but for me, people, people who have lost their jobs people who have lost their families, people who have lost their lives by being their true authentic selves, those are the people I consider to be brave, those are the people whose shoulders I stand on, the people who went to riot, the people who went to make law changes, the people who went, I'm gay, who were banned off television, who weren't given opportunities on television, who were were ostracized from their workplace, those are the brave people. 100%. When you were telling your story before and you were talking about walking into this pub solo, I had many examples of like that when I was younger. And I would almost do it as a fear-busting exercise as well because you have this thing where you walk in solo and you think everyone's going to think I'm a loser. I've got no friends with me. And, and you know, even though you know that not to be true, you still think, you know, you still have these irrational thoughts but actually, you know, I always felt like sometimes I was pumping myself up like I was having some sort of fight or some boxing match. I'm like, come on, you can do it. And you just go in there. And as long as you just embrace whatever happens in terms of going up to people, just chatting, mm. no one ever, ever says, "Why? You, where are your friends? Why are you here alone? It, that never happened, but it was sort of like an irrational fear that came up. And it seemed like you had a lot of irrational fears as well. I think you're right. We we all do. We Because... Uh, as I said earlier, it's that thing about not having, not finding your tribe yet, and you, and because you've been through uh, maybe abuse yourself, but people um, saying awful things about uh, people that you identify with, 
people who do not embrace uh, gay people. And then you you set yourself up because you don't want to go into that space. And yes, you are new in that space, but you could also be a target. It's all in your head, but you've got to get over that. And the only way you can get over that is by doing it and doing it. You know, I, I know people who moved to London to get away from their families. And then they had a different life in London. Da, da, da. But once they go back home, they've got to compartmentalize all that and then become this again. That's not good for one's brain, one's mind. And that can lead to all sorts of um, um, or tragic events, for want of a better word. Um, in the same way that I was like, I, was ex I had this armor around me where I was expecting to, 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 to defend myself. You know, my first step into brief encounter was... It was just like, oh, that was, all right, okay, right. Oh, I, within five minutes, I've been chatted up by some person who said maybe the, who said the wrong thing, and then <laughs> ten minutes later, I meet yeah. these people, but no one's gone. Oh, look at that loser! You're right, mm. but but you don't know that until you do it. I don't know about you, but I, fi I find things are more exciting and more fulfilling once it's tinged with a bit of fear. You must, even though you've been a comedian for you know decades now, you must still have this feeling of of fear or nervousness. But afterwards, you know, when you've when you feel like you've absolutely nailed a show and the audience has gone away happy, you must go off stage absolutely buzzing. Yeah, but I think also it's that fine line between uh, fear and adrenaline. You know, that's that thing you get in your stomach, which is like fight or flight. You know, it's not, not I wouldn't say it's fear because if I was scared, if I was genuinely fe fearful of something, I probably would not do it. But if I had this impetus and this adrenaline that was giving, pumping me up, as you say, then I would do it and I would overcome what I would, people may say is fear. But in terms of realism, and that's why when I do this job, People say to me all the time, people from all walks of life, oh, oh, I couldn't do, couldn't do comedy. It's the hardest job in the world. Oh, it's, I'd be so scared. And I go, what is the worst that can happen? What's the worst? If you get up on stage and, t make, and tell jokes, what's the worst that can happen? People don't laugh. I could never be a social worker. I could never be a, a doctor. I could never be a policeman. I could never be a politician because... All those jobs affect people's lives. And you make the wrong decision, you have fucked up people's lives. Me, I do a joke, you don't laugh. There's always tomorrow. There's always another comedian. Who gives a shit? It's clear from my conversation with Stephen that finding his tribe was really important for him to reflect his different identities. And surrounding yourself with a community of people that you want to be around can be very empowering after years of feeling isolated. Stephen was able to acknowledge and reflect on the fear that he felt at that time. It got me thinking, how would his mental health have been different if that thing would have happened today with the fact that we have made some small, progressive steps forward? But as Stephen says, even though we've made some small progress, there's still a huge amount that needs to be done to lift the stigma of mental health. I feel like highlighting stories like Stephen's can be that starting point for change. Stephen has undoubtedly paved the way for gay people and comics to have multiple identities and live freely. Before you go, 
Let me tell you about our man test. The team and I created it with the belief that every man has hidden, untapped potential. And I want to help you discover what it could be. Let's face it, we've all got dreams and aspirations, but the stresses of life can get in the way. I know I've been there myself. As men, each one of us has skills and knowledge that sets us apart from the rest. It's about discovering what they are and making the most of them. The man test is simple. It takes less than three minutes and will help you discover your true strengths and talents by working out what kind of modern man you really are. Find the link in the show notes and take the man test today. You never know, you might just learn something new about yourself that you didn't know before.